When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant, and if you're joining us for the very first time, we are so glad that you guys are here to join us on this history, not this history, but this exploration of what good music is. And we're going to kind of explore a new genre, as I understand today. So if this is your very first episode, then you kind of get to explore with us, and that'll be really fun. If you hung around for a while and you want to get out on the conversation then check out our Facebook and Instagram page at Good Music Podcast. There'll be updates there and some interesting info on new episodes when those will come out. Speaking of which, they come out every Monday at midnight central time in the U.S. if it matters time zone wise. Um, <laughs> and if you want to support the podcast, which I highly, I highly uh, suggest that you do, right? Um, then go down into the description. There's a link to a Patreon page and that will give you access for just a few bucks a month to early episodes and to exclusive bad music podcast after hours episodes where we kind of have everything no filter and talk about the worst songs of every band and it's really really fun that's patient exclusive Um, but if it's your first time here we're glad you're here anyway and if all you're doing is listening then welcome and we talked about leonard skinner last week we talked about yes we did the the well the not southern rockers the rockers from the south right there you um, go and the history and i thought it was a very history packed episode so yes, it mean, was. We, had, we had a very long first segment so if you're a if you're a history buff um, then you'll definitely want to check that episode out i listened to uh what was it street survivors mm-hmm. yeah listened all the way through that and it was like i felt myself getting more lost in like the sound than i expected like I, yeah, I, it's it's my favorite mix of all of their albums. It it was weird. It wasn't like oh, there's a great moment. There's a great moment. There's a great moment. It was just like a great like kind of I don't want to say blob. I don't I don't want to like talk of about all album. of all uh, their albums. I think it's their most cohesive was, from start to finish. Cohesive. Yeah, it's like one song went to the next. You couldn't really tell when song breaks were which I traditionally would think that's a bad thing, but I don't know. Maybe you guys should go check that out for yourself. See what you think. Check out our Leonard Skinner episode. I'm anyway, glad you enjoyed it. I, I did. I did. I don't know if they moved if they moved up for me, but... I just got was... that album on vinyl yesterday. Yes, you did. Yeah, you sent me that picture today or yesterday or something. Yesterday, yeah. It was, it was just 10 bucks. With escape... Like, well, 
And what was well, the I'm other definitely going to pick this up. What was, what was the third one? There was Escape and there was... And uh, Permanent Waves. Permanent Waves. Oh, how did I forget that one? Oh, man, that's another good album. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Anyway, but... we're, we're not talking about rock or any... Well, we are talking about kind of guitar music. Um, and we're talking about... Who are we talking about, Lucas? We're going to be talking about a band called Phoenix. Now, to um, talk about what you said earlier about this is a brand new genre. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would say mute math is pretty similar in genre and sound as Phoenix is um, pretty much where this is going to be an indie alternative group, although uh, a much more successful one than mute math was uh, <laughs> not to dog on mute math, but they just, they never really reached that like kind of next level. And Phoenix was able to do that. Um, Phoenix is a very interesting group that um, I've been familiar with for about 10 years now. And um, I was just like, I think this would be a great opportunity to get to know them more. So um, Grant, let's go ahead and jump into your first thoughts. What did you think whenever we, you found out we were going to do an episode on Phoenix? Um, well, I didn't figure it out. I did the, the uh, ideal listening experience first listening experience where i had no idea who it was like the whole time through and then i got to about like the the fourth or fifth song and i'm like i i'm drawing a blank i don't even recognize like any of this maybe a little bit from somewhere and so i looked at him like phoenix i would have never guessed i've never heard that name before okay so uh, this is a, as pure of a five as it gets. this is as pure as, as a five but in listening through the set over and over again, I realized there was like one vocal line that kind of reminded me of this song that I covered in like 2013. So I was part of this like band camp thing, which I'm sure people are familiar with the style of this, but you know, you get a bunch of music students together at your music uh, lessons place and they all form a band for the summer and it's all fun. You put out four songs on a CD Right. Um, so I was 12. I'm like, man, this is so cool. I want to do all these GNR songs, you know, or like all these like Van Halen songs or whatever. And no one else in my group of selected music students was rock uh, fans. So I kind of got uh, vetoed on a lot of my ideas, but that was okay. I mean, I was 12. Right. Uh, but that was my first introduction to Phoenix, not knowing it because we covered 1901. Yeah. Right. That's and, what I would have guessed. Right. And we did, uh, we did like a music video for it and everything. I had this red Afro and the fancy lights and I got crowd surfed and we performed that song in front of a live audience too. Wow. So you've, you've played Phoenix live before. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, it, it was, it might have been, one of, if not the first song I ever played in front of an audience. Wow! So no, then, no, that no. would be an that would be an incredible connection that you that's, didn't even know. That's that that is that is a false statement now that comes out of my mouth. It's at least the fifth. Uh, still, but still, it was it was the first one of the first songs I actually played at a like a restaurant venue on a stage, not like friends and family, let's get together kind of thing. Uh, so that that's was, pretty cool. Yeah. And, and coincidentally, that's also when I first learned about Muse 
Um, and there are two other songs and I'm drawing a blank. It was like Naive and, oh, is the How to Save a Life song. Oh, I hate that song. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty uh, interesting. But um, anyway, all that to say is like, I didn't know the name of the band. Like I was totally familiar with the song, obviously, because I had to play it. But I didn't know the band's name. I just knew 1901. Right. And so when I when I first heard the Killers, I thought that they were the same band. And then I'm thinking, huh, you know, there's like a little bit. And I guess that was still in the back of my head for all these years, that little melody line. And then when I heard his voice on one of these songs in a very particular melody, I'm like, I wonder if it's the same band and sure enough like after eight years i had still remembered that song and i was looking through the lyrics to make sure it was the right song by the right artist i'm like yep 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 and somehow i still remember the lyrics and how they go but yeah that's that's it though that's all i know about phoenix i mean like i said i didn't even know their name i just knew one of the songs I don't know any of their history. I don't know how many people are in the band. I don't know their vision. I couldn't really even tell you the era, other than it's kind of modern. But yeah, so I'm I'm as close to a five as you could get without being completely, you know, out of the blue. Anyway, that's my first thought. Okay. Well, um, I, I have a bit more of experience with Phoenix than that. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Um, I This is one of those ones I got to thank Rock Band for. Another one. Yeah. Um, Lasso was on Rock Band 3. But I was starting to get a little bit familiar with them before then because um, that game came out in 2010. And Phoenix got really big in the mainstream like 2009. And so, like, I realized after the fact that I had their 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 big record was Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, and which is an awesome title, by the way. And I, was I how you felt about that, yeah. Um, I I finally, after really getting in the lasso, I was just like, I'm gonna check out this album, and it turns out that my dad had the CD, and so he just let me have it. And I listened to it, and, like, the entire first half of the album, I already knew because I had heard it in various different places so many times. Like, wow. at uh, at our youth group, like, they had that album mixed in with the lobby music, like, all the time. We we even did, like, the – those of you that are church people, the, the, the post-offering jam – where the where the pastor comes up and does the announcements and they all, like we I remember we jammed um we jammed 1901 like a like a subdued version but I didn't know what it was and um I had heard Listomania and Fences and like all these songs where I was just like I put the album on it's just like oh I didn't know that was them I didn't know that was oh my gosh I've I've just about heard this whole album already wow. that's they they had like a they had like a two year period where they kind of became like a household band, even if you didn't realize it had happened because their music so served like most other bands, I would say this and it'd be an insult, but for them, they just, they have this kind of 
calming presence about their music that it was great background music. Yeah, that or does it sound was, like it'd be. It was in a lot of commercials, a lot of shows. Of like, it was, it's the kind of music that fits well. Like you hear it playing in the mall as you walk through. Like just it had this it had this this pleasantness to it. And so, um, so once I once I found that record, I listened to that a lot throughout the time that I was in college. So that was that was a big college album for me. I, I just I found that the two things I really gravitated to when I was in college was was alternative and prog because that was like when I really got into Yes and Peter Gabriel Genesis. Um, that's when I kind of really completed my knowledge of dream theater but then also i was listening to a lot of phoenix and franz ferdinand and the killers and like all those all those 2000s alternative records were also like big time influences on me in college and then like right as i was coming out of college that's when i got into like really extreme metal like i remember i remember end of senior year was when i really got into pantera for the first time those seem like kind of opposites though I know it's interesting, but kind of in a weird way, there is some similarity to it. Um, mm. Phoenix in particular. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what Phoenix is and who Phoenix is. Okay. okay. So I didn't know if you got the impression listening to the vocals and the lyrics. I didn't know if you picked up on something per- peculiar. Um, it's Brandon Flowers. Hmm. No. I wouldn't say so. Their pre-band, uh, their first album came out before the Killers' first album came out, and his I, voice has say, stayed pretty similar. I mm, see. I don't know because so these guys are French. What? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! They're often considered part of the holy trinity of international French musicians along with daft punk and a band called air that i was I'm like i've never heard of these guys but oh, apparently they're big deal oh that is so funny that you say daft punk mm-hmm. the and i think you know what we're gonna talk about next segment air I've, i don't know if i've ever heard air i haven't either maybe that's the one that i need to check out because they're they're like they're held in the same regard and i'm like well i like phoenix and daft punk so surely yeah. i must like air and perhaps yeah. it'll be one of those things I listen to him and I realize, oh, I've heard all this before. Boy, I hope you like air because you need to breathe. Ah, get it? There's another band. Wow. Wow. The that was holy... that was a that was a total guy thing to say. The holy quadrinity. <laughs> <laughs> Although they're not even French, so that kind of messes that. So yeah, they're French. Um, and English is not their first language it's not even the first language they write their lyrics in that's strange they they write all their lyrics in french first and then they translate them to english that sounds like it'd be so problematic but that again that's kind of the thing is that they because people ask him all the time why do you why do you write in French and then English and he said well like English is not like our strongest language so if we're going to write poetic lyrics writing it in English is just not going to work. We write it in a language we understand, and then we translate it over to English. And 
because of that, there's going to be these imperfections in the way things are phrased, the word choices. But he said that that he feels it gives the lyrics a charm and a personality that no other band has. A little bit of like mystery. Yeah, it makes it makes the lyrics even weirder and stranger. But at the same time, like it sounds very beautiful the way it's being said. So are there like French releases and English releases? Nope. It's just, wow. Okay. Now they do, depending on different albums, a song or two will have passages in other language. In fact, their most recent album actually consider, contains quite a bit of Italian. Oh, Even wow. the, the name of the album, Tiamo, is Italian. This is, the turns have tabled. Wow. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like the big interesting thing about Phoenix is just that, 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 um, approach to songwriting. And that was actually one of the first things that I learned about him. Cause I had a, I had a good friend that, um, I did youth band with, that was a big Phoenix fan that kind of helped me point in the direction of mm-hmm. Phoenix. And she was telling me, she was just like, yeah, they write their songs in French first and then translate them to English. Like, even, like, when they, like, I watched a documentary on the making of Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, they do the whole thing in French with subtitles. Like, they're not the kind of foreign members that, like, are really uh, well-versed in English and are just able to just switch into that mode. Like, even the, the interviews I saw where they're having to speak English, they're, like, a lot of times they're, like, having to stop and, like, search for the right word to say. They're, like, how do you say this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like it's very heavily accented, and just like like English is not their priority to like to speak French is, hmm. and the, they just they chose to do it in English first off because they knew it would give them a bit more of an international appeal, but also because they just they loved the way that the words were starting to come out that it was it was giving them a a uniqueness to their sound. See, I had thought like this whole time look at the cover of Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix you know that looks kind of vaguely like Arizona I guess Phoenix Arizona but I guess not because they're <laughs> French mm-hmm. so like is it just oh Phoenix sounds cool English word or like as far as I know I wasn't so this was a band I, I wasn't able to find a whole lot of info about as far as I know, just Phoenix just became the name. Hmm. Now, Phoenix, since its uh, creation in um, in 19, I believe nineteen ninety six. I don't know. Uh, ninety five. Um, it's been the same four guys the whole time. Four. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've been seeing three on a lot of things. Oh, I'm thinking of Air. No, I'm thinking of. Yes. I'm searching. Did you just look at a bunch of pictures of air? I'm looking at a bunch of like Spotify, like get like Spotify uh, pictures and like covers to get context of like all the things we're talking about. Oh, I'm (laughs) talking about Mike Snow because it's in fans also. Like, okay, never mind. Four people. Anyway, forgive my uh, ignorance, I guess. Now here was here was the most surprising thing that I learned is that all four of them 
are the guitarists and keyboardists of the band? Um. Okay. Okay. So then, um, there's no drummer. What? All the drums. This this was the thing that kind of like blew my mind, and then when I listened back to it, I was just like, "How did I not notice this?" Like, all the drums are programmed. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I it makes that. sense, but I just that it never even crossed my because they did such a great job of making the drums sound authentic and real, especially on Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. Yeah, it isn't like the 1901 video. Isn't there like a kick drum that does? Well, the yeah. So when they and... when they play live, they get a drummer, but wow. but that's he's just a he. They'll just get a musician for hire. Five guys on stage, four guys. Mm-hmm. In the but um, yeah, like they all will contribute different guitar bits, different drum or different keyboard bits. Um, Thomas Mars is the lead singer of the band. They don't have multiple singers. Uh. Um, you've got Beck Darcy that does do all the bass, but he also does guitars and keyboards. Uh, Loren Brankowitz that does guitar and keyboards and Christian Mazali. I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing these horribly wrong. I'm, I apologize. Um, who also does guitar and keyboard. It was interesting to see in the studio that they all just will like they'll be like in a circle of keyboards just doing things. And then one of them will just go over and pick up a guitar and start playing that. That's kind of awesome. It's like a super group. Yeah, but it's... it's, like a hive mind. It was very surprising to me to learn how um, synthetic of a band they were as far as just like, it's not just... I thought it was just a traditional like guitar, paste, drums, and then a keyboard player. And it was like more of just like a normal rock and roll group. And I was very surprised to learn how more mechanistic everything was. And it actually really deepened my appreciation of what they did because it means that they did a really good job in tricking me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So like if, if I'm a member of Phoenix and I would like to take part in the songwriting process. What would that look like? Like, is it somebody brings a song to the band? No, everything just... everything is developed as a group effort through jamming. So they're just jamming, and they're like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Let's keep working." Yeah, on use, that. they they said that all of their songs start off as thirty minute musical segments, and the the job is how do we cut this down to four minutes? Oh, that's cool. So they just like put on a drum loop and then. Go. Well, what what it does is uh, Thomas, the lead vocalist, he um, does all the drums on a keyboard, like like has like to where it's like up the sound effects for each key, and he just like taps out beats. Ooh. And I bet so, he's really good at that now. Yeah, because he said he was a drummer when, early on in his musical career before he switched to everything else, and so he's kind of he's also the go to drum programmer now occasionally what they'll also do is they'll they'll blend authentic drums with synthetic drums and like and also like the stuff like uh uh there's a song on uh wolfgang that their producer like legitimately got sat down behind the kid and played a real drum beat but they also supplement all of what the drums are doing with all of these synth, uh, synth drum parts to where the whole, they said the whole purpose is to 
make you question what's real and what isn't when mm. it comes to the drums. We're getting into Doctor Strange territory now. Mm-hmm. What is real? That is kind of cool, though. Like, that's a cool, I guess, business model, so to speak. Yeah. It's it, it's very Daft Punk. It is. Now, so true. it's, it's going to sound unfair for me to compare them to the only other French artist that I know. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm going to do that is because they actually have a almost a strange intertwining history with each other. Um, I believe it was, um, it was, uh, uh, Lauren Brinkowitz who actually was in a band with the two guys from Daft Punk before they made Daft Punk. Wow. And I remembered learning that when I did the Daft Punk episode, but then I completely forgot about it. And then I, and then I read that again. I was just like, Oh Yeah. This makes so much sense. And I never, and once I learned like the little peek behind the curtain of how they make their music, the electronic and Daft Punk influence all of a sudden becomes so obvious. Again, it was one of those things where I'm kind of like baffled that I never noticed it before because I had a, I had a false idea of what they were in my head. Oh, by the way, I never said what my uh, ranking for them is um i would say that i was at a at a at a at a six because i i really had only listened to that one record i hadn't explored the rest of their discography before but i really liked that one record man if, Wolf thing. if that was if that was uh if that was me that would push me into seven territory but whatever what if I'm, they must have a big discography no they don't they only have um, one, two, three, four, five, six albums. Oh, this wow. was a very, very easy ranked playlist to make. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Which I I usually try and do on purpose to to do artists, especially after you do stuff like Journey and Leonard Skinner, where it's just like these massive amounts of albums. Yeah, to oh. have to have episodes where I can be like, oh yay, I only have six albums I have to worry about and not tons of like rarity compilations and live cuts and obscure b-sides and all that yep yeah so it it makes it very nice but let's talk a little bit of kind of the trajectory of their career yeah so 95 is when they got together yes but they're um their first album didn't come out until uh, um, two. 99. It looks like it no, was ninety nine. I think it was two thousand. Mm, I can I'm fact I can checking fact, you. I'm fact checking I'm, you on Spotify. Two thousand, yes. What? Oh my gosh! Oh, I right. saw something. Oh, they must have had a single in ninety nine. Yeah, they the the Heat Wave single came out in ninety nine. Ah, okay. So how then, how did they get together? So they literally knew each other from from like elementary school. That's convenient. And so it's just like they just they were already friends with each other and they're just like, hey, let's make a band. Like and that's again, that's a reason why it's been the same guys this whole time is just like there's there was already an existing bond and friendship between them that they didn't have to like figure out how to get along with each other because they already did. 
he said that the first like year and a half or Thomas said that the first year and a half that they were in a band that um, that's they like got out all of their fighting with each other. Well, so so they, they did have the fighting, but it's just that's never going to really be a question, I guess. Yeah, because because he was just like and then after that, it was just like we got it all out of our system and now we're fine. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, so there's never – this is not a band that is going to have, like, crazy stories with ego and and screwing people over and, you know, no drug or alcohol problems that are fracturing the relationships or the integrity of the music. Like, this is, this is about as normal of guys as you're going to find. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're, they're like Rush, where it's just like there was no drama. They were just they were just a bunch of guys that liked to make music together and they just kept doing it. That's good. Yeah. I like those bands. You gotta you gotta have those sometimes as well. Not yeah, everything after... has to be this big old soap drama like we talked about with Journey, where it's Journey just like and Leonard Skinner, really. Uh-huh. Man. That so I guess that's why you had told me previously that this would not be such a history filled no because i mean it was just it's a it's a they're first off they're a band that you know very much keeps to themselves in their private life they're not you know out in the spotlight all the time not out doing crazy stuff doing crazy interviews um they're just they're guys that if they're not in the middle of a a record tour cycle they're at home living normal lives what what is like the ratio of that cycle? Um, like, how much are they on tour? They they actually take quite a bit of time in between. Um, like the, I would say it's usually like a like a like a three to four year period between records. Does that include like the touring and everything? Yeah, but. And I would say that their touring is fairly extensive, but not like in the level that, say, like Rolling Stones would do or, you know, anything like that. But as far as the indie world, they're pretty big. Like it would it would not be uncommon for them to sell out like a 10,000 seat arena. That's nice. Yeah. Like when it comes to the indie world, they're pretty high up there. They're they're considered kind of in the royalty of that of that sphere. That sounds like quite the sweet deal, though. Yeah, they really, uh, they really have an ideal. Again, very much like um, Daft Punk, although they don't have near as much mystery and 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 mystique surrounding them like they do with the whole right. "Who are they?" We've never seen their faces, but also they're the kind of people that can like literally go wherever they want, and people are not going to like be rushing up to them and mobbing them and saying, "Can I have your autograph? Take a picture." Like occasionally, like the diehard fans are going to know who they are, but you know they're not—they're not staying that can't walk anywhere in public without being followed by a giant crowd of people. Yeah, that that could get kind of annoying. Yeah, but anyway, uh, the first record came out in two thousand, and uh, it right pretty early on they they were able to get pretty big in their home country of france um that albums that first album still has their best ever performing single in france 
and um so they were they were able to get a pretty good start and they were just they every album helped them climb a little bit higher and then uh wolfgang was the fourth record and that was the one that that crossed over into mainstream instead of just being like the first record was like pretty much just a hit in france second record like got into the indie underground as like a ooh check out this group from france this is really cool Mm-hmm. And then yeah, third they, record. They were big in France, though. Yeah. Weird. In the same way that Muse is really big in England. Yeah. Uh. So, but but Wolfgang was the that was the record that helped them like become a a huge group. That was that was the big crossover album. And it it even won the Grammy in 2010 for best alternative record. Wow! So it's a, they they have made a Grammy winning album. And it was like you look at like every end of year um, list of like best albums. It was like that was like in the top five of most every major publication. And they they were really able to get that in right at the end of the alt rock explosion because that was really the last time that a group like that was able to like able to get super big, being an alternative group. Pretty much after that, the only alternative groups that were big were the ones that were big to begin with, like Coldplay and the Killers and all those groups. What? Why do you think that happened? it's just because the mainstream shifted that's once you once you moved past 2010 like pretty much no traditional groups got big again and except for the occasional strange outlier like imagine dragons but like just the 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 era of the guitar based band really died in 2010 it just the entire the 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 pop and hip hop world just really took an iron fist to popular music at that point, and it really hasn't looked back. That's why a song like Uptown Funk or Get Lucky was such a strange occurrence because it was just like, oh my gosh, a song with actual instruments and and a classic production has gotten huge. Got to bring it back, guys. Mm-hmm. On a mission from God. <laughs> but also, you know, Phoenix is another one of those bands that never does the same album twice. That's good. All of their albums are very different from each other. It's very Rush. Yes. And uh, the way that Thomas is explaining it, it also, it's pretty obvious that Thomas is the leader of the group as mm-hmm maybe not in the studio but he's definitely the face and is the one usually that's going to be doing all the interviews the other the other guys are very much more quiet in the background like hey you know you don't have to talk to us mm-hmm. uh thomas had said that he believes that the measure of success is if someone can't identify what genre you belong to oh that is a quote Mm-hmm. I think he's right. Yeah. It's the people that you could label them to like six or seven different things and then have people argue about, well, it's more this, it's more that. No, it's more that. He's just like, 
he said in his opinion that's when you know you've made it when people argue about what style you fit into because it means that you're not pigeonholed into one specific sound you're a band that has the flexibility and the um and the ability to grow and move into new territory without losing your core sound that's good it's something that no one has ever said about mumford and sons so what what does that i guess genre trajectory look like for them if you could put words to it so, I mean, I feel like it's pretty easy to put them in the umbrella label of alternative, but that's such a a large generic term that it's it's like saying someone's metal. That's or something is rock. Like yep. what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Alternative has just become this even indie doesn't really have a definable sound to it. Right. It just helps to at least tell you, well, it's not jazz. It's not R&B. It just tells you what it isn't rather than what it is. Um, There's a lot of people that say that they're modern new wave, which I can see that. There's a lot of that label them an electronic group, which I can see that, although not entirely. Um People have called them a dream pop, pop rock. Um, I mean, just where it's just it's 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 like almost like atmospheric pop. There's a lot of stuff of theirs Ah. that's just like it's very much like it's very much like a dream dreamscape. Theater, you mean? No, that's about (laughs) the opposite of that. Man. So, um, yeah, um, you can call them synth pop. Just would you would you say that they? Well, I guess you can't say that they created their own genre because, like, who's following them? I mean, not really anyone. I mean, just again, they they were able to kind of just create their own identity that really only they could be, and they've just taken all their favorite influences and just like meshed mushed it into a blender. They're not the kind of band that's like, oh, they're paving a new wave that everyone else is following. They just created their own unique sound that just is really awesome. So, like, the stands as itself. The indie, alternative, synth pop, modern, new wave, whatever you want to call it, underground scene isn't like, man, we want to write an album that sounds like a Phoenix album. Well, yeah, that's, that's of course going to happen, but. There's also going to be so many other influences that you can't say, well, Phoenix is the direct reason that this album exists or this movement exists. Okay. That, in a way, by the time you get to 2010, that that sort of thing just doesn't happen anymore. Especially, like, right before then is when the the advent of streaming came in. Once Mm -hmm. that happened and you had this massive, easy access to so many different types of music, to be able... Because metal has happened the same way. There's no trends in metal anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all just about these widely different styles just making really good music. Do you think that's a good thing? Um, I think that there's pros and cons to it. Uh, what do you mean? Like, 
in the way, first off, it, it really means that it's real. It's hard for a band to get super big anymore because to get super big, it means that you're doing something revolutionary that mm-hmm. you're, that you're signaling a new change in how music is going to be made. Um, you could really say that the last huge rock movement was grunge smaller ones have followed past it, but that was like the last like tectonic shifting rock movement to really happen to where it's, you know, these bands just overnight became the biggest things in the world. Right. And, and they changed the way that everyone else started writing music. I mean, you had the post grunge movement, you had the emo movement, you had the pop punk movement um, that were pretty big and like were, had, their share fair share of followings but once you get to the late 2000s again phoenix kind of came at the end of an era in rock music mm-hmm. they were one of the last bands that could be labeled as a rock group to make it big and get big mainstream appeal after that pretty much almost nothing that's rock was able to come in as a new artist and 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 have commercial success on all fronts. Good Which, I mean, you could say that that's sad, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just the way that it has happened. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix came in right at the tail end of that. Lucky. Yeah, and that's and I and I believe that that's why they weren't able to have another huge record. But also at the same time, they never really needed it. They weren't trying to make a huge record with Wolfgang. It just happened to be that it was the right album at the right time. And even then, I I say that it got big. It didn't get like world changing. It wasn't this massive record, but it was a pretty sizable hit. Right. Much more so than any of their previous records and anything that I'm sure that they expected to happen. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't anything that was by design. This is going to be our big album. Um, they've just always made that kind of record that they want to make. They say that the, the way that they know it's time to work on a new record is when the last record doesn't excite them anymore. That's That's good. Like... Write the music that you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. They said that their philosophy is they approach every single album like it's the very first one. That's good. I like it's... it. I like these quotes. Yeah, and so they 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 don't feel pressure to try and live up to whatever the previous thing was, or that they have to continue it. Or it's just like if there is any continuation, it's just because the core has remained intact of what Phoenix is. There's going to be somewhat of a consistency that links all the albums together, but there's no pressure to, you've got to sound like this. You've got to sound like that. And that's also thankfully a, a, a blessing that has come from them not becoming super huge. They didn't develop this massive rabbit fan base. That's like, that's saying release Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix part two. Mm-hmm. You know, they were able to just go in whatever direction they wanted to go. Every album has very different mix. The influences on each album are very apparently different. 
and um, just they just they just write the songs they want to write. So, and they're they're kind of like if the, if they get big, cool. If they don't, that's fine too. It doesn't matter to us. So we only have three of their records represented at all on mm-hmm. our set. Yeah. So this still isn't even a proper introduction to them because we have half of their sound kind of completely left out. Yeah, I would say... I would say the main focus was just on, like, these three records that I pulled from specifically are typically the first three that everyone finds first. Because the other three records that I didn't talk about have a bit more of a... Um, a bit of a different sound to them. Different. Yeah. Like how? <laughs> um. I'll also, I maybe I'll say it's just that they're the sounds that I don't like as much. Ah, okay. That the I per- like just not as much. I've I've found that from the three albums that I pulled for this set are just like these are the three albums that I'm just like oh man this just this this connects with me hmm. and plus also when I when I put those those six together I was just like oh this makes for a nice set yeah that is true that is that much is true so I don't know if you have much more history to go no the only thing I just wanted to throw in is and and this is this is something we talked about with Casey Musgraves is just these guys I've learned are artists. These guys almost approach music in the same way a painter would a blank canvas. They they paint with their music. Like yes, that. they're worried about well, I wouldn't even say worried. They're they're going to put in good pop hooks and and make, you know, more some conventional song structures. But also at the same time, they're incredibly creative with the sounds they use, with the the textures and the way that everything comes together. Even even the way that they approach their lyrics is very much like an artist would. This whole idea of painting through the lens of translating French to English. Yeah. It just it adds this eth- there's an ethereal quality that runs through all of their music. Man, it almost it almost seems otherworldly. It's just but, different shades of it depending on what album you're listening to. I guess that kind of answers our standard transition question of what are we listening for? So, we're going to be listening for um just a lot of very interesting sounds. Again, now that you have the uh, the knowledge that all the drums are programmed, I feel like that that changes the way that you're listening to the song. It sure yep. did for me. Um, it's just you're you're almost listening to sound paintings that that happen to have things that we recognize in normal songwriting, like Not, hooks it's- and verses and choruses and guitar riffs but it all is it's not so like rigid 
this is this, this is that, this goes here, this goes there. Avant-garde without all the unpalatable yes. stuff. And they, they have said before that the things that they typically listen to when they're not recording is avant-garde weird stuff. That's what they're that's what they're turned on by. Nice. And of course, in some ways, and you can you can hear it, especially in some of the later songs in our set where that really seeps in. Oh yeah. To where it's just like, I don't know how they came up with this, but man, is it interesting. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to introduce our listeners to this set. Yes. So we're gonna take a break and when we come back. We are going to talk about the six songs we have picked for this set. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just spent a little bit of time talking about Phoenix, one of our holy trinity of French bands, bands. I don't know how I should have ended that sentence, but that's how I ended it. And now it's time <laughs> to talk about um, the six songs. Even though it looks like seven on Spotify, these six songs that we have selected for this episode. So usually we like to select some songs that will act as a good introduction uh, to that band. And it also helps us talk about some interesting kind of history points and story points that we wouldn't otherwise talk about in our first segment and it's also just a great listening experience. If you want to take part in that listening experience, which we highly recommend that you do, it'd be such a shame if you listened to this whole podcast and didn't listen to the songs. Down in the description of every single episode is a link to a Spotify playlist that has not only these songs, but all of the songs from every single other episode on this podcast. And so you can listen to these songs. And if you see another song on there, we have an episode about it if you're interested. So without any more blabbering on, let's get to Listomania. 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 It's got a Z in there, so I wasn't quite sure. So start... Starting it off with uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. Is this the first song off of that record? Yes, and it was the first single for the record as well. Wow! So it was just—it was the first everything. First everything of the of the big record too. Yeah. Um, so this, in my opinion, I feel like just you kind of learn just in this one song everything you need to know about Phoenix. It kind of contains all of their major elements. Mm-hmm. It's got it's it's got some incredible sounding drums. Which again, this is one of the songs when I when I found out that it was not live drums, I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" But this sounds so good. Yeah, it really does kind of sound real. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is um, being sampled from real drums. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But it, but at the same time, it like it grooves. It does. That's 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 what's so crazy about it. I don't know if they are supplementing with a bit of real drums, or if it's just it's all pure, um, pure programmed. But gosh, dang, does it sound good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it does have a groove to where it's just you can be tricked into thinking that it's uh, 
that a drummer is live actually bashing away on this song. I I like how this this set is a lot like our Between the Buried and Me set where you kind of ease into it. Mhm. It's like this is this is our first step into the world of Phoenix and we're not doing anything too crazy yet, but at the same time it's there's definitely some like some a little bit of sound experimentation, I guess. Yeah. Like you kind of have the um edge, you know, kick back delay guitar sound, that kind of thing. That it's not it's not your generic music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's closer than the other stuff, but it's still there's there's a little there's a, some special magic here. So what is this song about? So um the band grew up in a in an area called Versailles, which Versailles. Uh, from everything that they've described is a a place that really just champions and promotes uh, legacy and history and you know it's a it's a it's a museum town as they have said and so you know this isn't palace of versailles versailles i don't think so cuz i think i'm pretty sure the palace of versailles is in paris but i'm sure it was named after Versailles. Um, history buffs don't at me. You are the history buff. Uh, real history buffs, <laughs> self, not self-proclaimed ones. Um, I'm still learning, just like everyone else. But they um, they just felt like they were trapped in that town because, and it was a town that like never wanted to have anything new or exciting going on. That it was it's a it's a it's a place of history and of legacy and nobility. And they were just like, that's not what we're excited by. We wanna we wanna find new experiences, exciting experiences, not be stuck in this place that is in its own way stuck in the past. So it's kinda like an Iowa. If Iowa had thousands of years of history to it. Well, but like the the philosophy behind the song. Oh, you mean the album Iowa? Yes. Gotcha. Sorry, I thought we were on the same page. I thought I you were talking about just like the the state of Iowa. And I was just like, <laughs> no, what? no. I can understand how that was a little confusing. Yeah. I mean, maybe. So I guess uh, Listomania is like a real like a real. Thing. Yes. So. Um, if you have never heard of the classical, well, I guess not classical. I'm gonna. I was gonna use that term incorrectly. The romantic pianist and composer Franz Liszt. 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 He is someone that we are absolutely gonna be talking about in our history of music, um, but not 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 for a little while, because he's a little further down the timeline. But he's part of the Romantic period, and he is considered one of the greatest, if not a contender for the greatest piano player and composer of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, the man, I've heard some of his work, and it's it's bonkers, the stuff that he makes piano players do to play his music. <laughs> okay. It's some wild stuff, so... Um, 
the the listomania was an actual uh, medical condition because you think about the term mania. That's like that's a very generic, broad term that's not really taken seriously in today's standard. But like back in like the eighteen and early nineteen hundreds, mania was like considered a legitimate illness. Hmm. And something that needed to be treated with with medicine and psychology. And so um, Litztomania was something that people that watched Franz Litzt perform would cause people to get into this feverish uproar. Like it, they, they described it as it would be the same thing as modern day Beatlemania where people see the Beatles perform and they lose their minds because they love them so much. That was the reaction that Litzt created in his audience. That's intense. A lot of people do point to him as being one of the first ever rock and roll stars because of just the popularity that he had and the, the, the primal reaction that he generated in his fans. So then like, how does that play into the song? So I know this is kind of a, a long roundabout way to, to get to that. Right, right, right. So the whole message of the song is that they want to break away from the attitude and the the litstomania of Versailles, which is obsessive and crazy about all things that are old and gone. But at the same time, their idea of litstomania is recapturing what made people go crazy in the first place, which is something raw, new, and exciting. In their way, it's almost become uh, it's almost become paradoxical to its original meaning. They're so concerned about the things of the past and being excited about what this came before, but that's not what people were freaking out over at the time that Litzt was a performer. He was a new thing. He was something that was fresh and exciting. And so Litzdomania is about them breaking away and creating their own very new Litzdomania. Hmm. And trying to find something new. Okay. Interesting. I know, I know that that's very comp- a very complicated way to explain that, but... It's got the it's got the double meaning. Yeah. The double entendre in a non Aerosmith way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also there's a lot of people that will uh argue about that because one of the one of the things about Phoenix lyrics is that again, when you considering the fact that you've got this this language um translation thing going on. There, there is a bit of ambiguity in exactly what's being told. Oh, that can make it more fun, though. Yeah, and so you've got people with widely different viewpoints. That was the one that I heard that, after examining the lyrics, made the most sense to me. That I've, I've heard, or I saw people trying to describe that it's that it's a relationship, that it's you know that it's this and that and. It's a political statement, and I'm just like I just I think it's about it's about the thrill of of 
finding something new and finding and going and finding meaning in life. Hmm. Finding the next new wild adventure. So let's, let's take a moment to talk about this album art. Is that just like, wow, cool pastel colors? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. And Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix is just like, wow, we're now, as good as Mozart. I no, I, that's definitely meant to be tongue in cheek. Okay. And I think the fact that you have that title and another song that references that time period, Litstomania, I don't think mm-hmm. that that's coincidental. Um, I think that there's there's almost a bit of a bit of uh, a bit of tongue firmly grasped in cheek. <laughs> tongue firmly grasped in cheek. Yeah, Getty Lee <laughs> hope didn't hear me say that because he's going to steal that for his next song. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so I guess, like, I was wondering what you thought about that album title. Like, if you because you talk a pretty good game about Mozart. Oh yeah, I just I think that it's I think that it's that it's endearing. And that it's it's in a way it's whimsical. The way that Phoenix themselves has described the album is that it's almost childlike. Okay. That it it has this it has this not just in the music but also the lyrics. It's kind of it has a wide eyed sense and an innocence to it. So and I, it's, and I it's... think that the I think that the uh, that the album title is meant to kind of like mimic the that that youthful you know bravado of we we can be the next great thing but also at the same time it's 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 self-aware they're they're not the kind of band that's going to seriously make a statement saying we're going to be better than mozart that's not their I I had read it as like Mozart Schmozart, like we're better than that. No. Okay. I think if if you did that, then you fell for the joke that they were exactly wanting you to fall for. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of like they're that's that's probably the reaction that they were laughing that people were going to make. Good. And then just and then kind of come out and just go, no, you're taking it too seriously. Good. That's I like I fell for it. Ah see I like that. I not an Octavarian moment, guys, but hey, I like it when when bands kinda kinda give you a little bit of an experience like that. Yeah. Anyway. But if I ever feel better then I would say I I can't uh, uh, next song. Woo. Oh, that you tried hard on that. It was one. it was going somewhere and I forgot what I was gonna say. So let's just let's just go to United, which is two thousand. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the first record. record. If I ever feel better. Mm-hmm. So remember how I said that. Um, that album contained their uh, their biggest hit in their home country. This is it. Yeah, this is it. This was this was their first hit. Okay. And 
it remained one of their biggest ones. That's good to that's good to have like a a, a hit on your first record so you can play it live all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this is this is um so this era of of Phoenix I hadn't really delved into before. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually pretty surprised when I started hearing stuff off of this record. Because this was the next one I went to, obviously, when I started my, my chronological um, move through all the all the albums. Mm-hmm. This was this was my starting point, and I listened to it, and I was just like, huh, this is not what I was expecting. But I found that I really enjoyed it. This, this, I feel like now, and I had learned the whole electronic thing after this, and if I feel like I had heard this song earlier, I'd have been like, wait a minute, those are program drums. I feel like it's a little more obvious here. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to my ear, and it's... I just, I'm so excited for the rest of this set, because it's like, this is pretty good, you know, but it's nice and chill, and... Um, it's a great contrast from what we just heard. I'm, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, it's like this This sounds a lot more basic than a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast. So, like, at this at this point in the set, because I didn't know where we were going, right? Um, and obviously, after two songs, you can't really – two songs is not a trend, right? So I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this episode's going to be really tough. I'm going to have to really hold my tongue on this because this is like – this is not my kind of music. Yeah, I feel like you always do that. You always are, like, you'll start the episode off, and you're just like, man, this is going to be hard for me to get through. I don't yeah. know how to do this. And then it's like, it's like I know, and I'm like, and I'm almost, I'm misleading you. And then we get to these certain moments that I'm just like, okay, he won't see this coming. Yeah. Like, that that final chorus line, it's like, man, that's kind of, when he says, when it's all over, I'll let you know. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to say. I guess that's the best that they could have done with what they were trying to say. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it's just, I'm not used to a chorus sounding like that. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. It was, it was a bit of an adjustment for me as well. But the more I listened to the song, the more I really started to enjoy it. And I, and I really yeah. started to realize something about Phoenix. And I think that when you only listen to uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, that you kind of believe that they, you believe that they are this more rock and roll group. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there's a certain way that you listen to rock and roll, which is that you you analyze it you you listen for the parts you're you're expecting you know performance and uh, all these things that you know are it's it's about an active listening experience oh yeah we're all about that active listening experience but i found for a large portion of phoenix's material that you 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 get more out of it when you let go of actively listening and you just let it take you. That's it's more, it's more about an experience. 
and an a mood and a vibe. That much is true, especially about this song, because like there's not a lot here to pick apart, you know. And when you pick apart, what pick it when you pick it apart, you kind of like you come up lacking. Mm-hmm. But if you do. I mean, which we talk all the time about songs on the podcast that, oh, if you pick it apart and you get more out of it, it's a great song. But it's like, that's not to say this one's necessarily bad. It's just like, you can't do that with it. You have to, you have to just sit and, and kind of experience it. Uh-huh. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm learning more and more how to do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so hard after listening to years and years of rock and metal. Yeah. Which demands you that, that you pay attention and, and understand and and dissect every detail right you know in a way it's almost ruined us as listeners because i always had a hard time understanding more music like this so just like how can you get into this if there's not anything going on yeah but and of course there's bad music that does that as well yeah but i'm now starting to notice good music that doesn't necessarily make you go okay follow this melodic path line through and you'll arrive to this point and then it does this calculated strategy it's just all about just let the just just sit in it and enjoy it it doesn't have to be more complicated than that it's so it's, it, it it's, might be getting ahead of myself a little bit on on a final thoughts thing, but that's it's completely it's completely a different philosophy, mm-hmm. you know. Like people who listen to this kind of music can't, you know, palate the rock and metal stuff, and like people who are used to the rock and metal stuff can't palate this kind of stuff. Maybe that's kind of like maybe that's part of the point of you know the podcast, I guess. But yeah, mm-hmm. anyway, not to get into many final thoughts. But, you know, we are in this, we are in that situation of kind of like multiple divides of musical philosophy, and you really can't blame it on anybody. No, you did it. I did it. That was was legitimately good. Here's the thing. I knew you were going to do it. I sensed that you were going that way, but I didn't know how you were going to stick the landing. I'm actually quite proud of that one. Like, I started that whole thought not knowing that's how it was going to end it. I'm like, you know, this this would work out so anyway we're on you can't blame it on anybody yes so what i was describing just now with um if i ever feel better i would say that it was i was feeling that subconsciously on that song and it was on this one that it really kind of dawned on me all of a sudden Mm -hmm. where because I, I started to really enjoy the song and I didn't like quite know why I was just, I was, I originally was just like, Oh, I mean, there's not really a whole lot going on. It's really subdued. But then I was just like, but it, it makes me feel good. Yeah. And I, and I kind of can't place why. And then that's when, that's when I really just started to think about it in this whole new philosophy of listening kind of started to stir in me i don't know how to explain this but like somehow it sounds like what's that what's that stevie wonder album that we talked about is like very late in his 
uh, like early career. Oh yeah, 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 like the where I'm coming from. It sounds like it belongs on that some, yeah. for some reason. I don't know what it is about the song. Maybe it's the maybe it's the chorus. It just yeah. sounds very man. That era. What a smooth chorus. Ooh yeah. It just it just it hits all the right moments. Yeah, and I man, we didn't even talk about the meaning of the last song, but I mean, I, I guess we can talk about both meanings right here. I mean, the meaning of the last song is is. I feel like pretty straightforward. One of the more straightforward Phoenix meanings, just about um, about being in a breakup and mm-hmm. feeling that kind of like everything is over, and he's he's potentially interacting with someone that could be the start of a new love, and he's. He wants to move on, but he doesn't know how to. So he's telling her, if I ever feel better, I'd like to spend some more good time with you. If you give me your number. Um, I can't remember the actual. When it's all over, I'll let when you know. When it's all over, I'll let you know. Pretty much just kind of like a song saying, I like you. I'm interested in you, but I'm still working through some things. Maybe this will work out in another time. Dealing with confusion post-breakup. So anyway, meaning of this song. Um, I can't really kind of in a way, this is a bit of a of a thematic sequel because this honestly feels it almost feels like um like rendezvous with a stranger. Mm-hmm. In in a in a strictly carnal way. Because mm-hmm. he he tells this story of meeting this woman, and that he describes her as battered up, but I I believe he's talking figuratively here, kind of just mm-hmm. saying that she's um, she's been through a lot. She's got a lot of hurt baggage, and he's pretty much just almost like he's almost like introducing her to some sexual healing. Kind of just like forget about what has happened before. Just come with me, have a good time, forget about it, and it doesn't have to be anything more than that. Let me take you to the heart of the city. Let me misunderstand you. He's not trying to understand her, guys. The song is about itself. Just let, just like, go with the flow, man. He's, he like because he the the way in the story he originally tries to use traditional romantic language with her saying I I spoke to you in words of love through broken English but you didn't understand me anyway you probably spoke Italian hmm. kind of just like you know he he tried to make it this this romantic overture. And when he realized that that's not what she wanted or needed, he was just like, well, I guess it doesn't have to be that. And so the kind of the key line just, you know, just like, mm, can't blame it on anybody. It, it just so it, it is. That, that's, a, that's a weird philosophy of a song. I know, but at the same time, like, it doesn't, it doesn't come across as, like, creepy or... Uh, pervy 
it just it just comes across as two adults that have an understanding of what their situation is and just going with it. Hmm. It just 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 letting the flow happen, which is exactly again what we're talking about with how to listen to these songs. It's big brain moment. Yeah, really is. Wow, that's that's a neat little connection. I don't know if that was intentional or not. And I I could totally be um, misanalyzing that because this was a song that I could not find like any like substantial commentary on. It was just this was just me looking at the lyrics and going, okay, this is what I think this is about. Mm-hmm. So. If I'm if I'm completely wrong, I apologize. But that's what I got out of it. Right, right. Well, those those good. Yeah, and and you know, like I was talking about before, talking about the meaning of the song. It's like the sounds that are here are very simple, kind of lo-fi. Mm-hmm. And like, there's not a lot of like the vocals are very lazily put in, but. I think that was that was a that was not a lazy choice to make it no. sound lazy. It's right? it gives it a very seductive quality to it. Yeah, and it just gives it it just gives it a very like relaxed. I don't know if like necessarily it's purely seductive. It's just like relaxed. Mm-hmm. Like you can blame it on anybody, you know, whatever. Kind of like like it doesn't it doesn't matter what happened before. Right, and then he talks you, about like. Right is wrong. He doesn't sound confused, you know. He's just kind of like whatever about it, and it's just it's it's got that whole like it's okay to not understand. Yeah, it's just like don't try too hard to figure this whole thing out. Right. Right. Sometimes we can just misunderstand each other, and that's not a bad thing. We don't have to understand each other. To have a good time. Very interesting coming from the French band who intentionally translates their lyrics to English so they can be understood. But as but I'm looking at it too too. But uh, also in a way that you kind of can't understand it because it's because it's so strangely translated. Yeah, that's true too. Maybe I'm looking at it too too deeply there, but um, again, it doesn't. You don't have to. We 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 can take we can take the song's advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps in trying to understand it, we miss the point. That's that's, the, that's some deep philosophical crap right there. For the next three thong three thong. Whoa, whoa. Next three songs, we're not going to talk about the meaning at all, apparently. Oh, no, we still can. <laughs> that was that was just in flavor with what we were talking about with the song. Right, 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 right. Yeah, just a, just a nice, chill, lo-fi hip-hop beats to relax, study to. But uh, we got more to go. Yeah, and I think that the, the next song... Um, kind of almost wakes us up a little bit from the trance that the previous two songs put us in. Yep. Which which was my uh which was my intention to kind of it's almost like the the last two songs are meant to like lull you into this comfort and then we uh, those drums to lasso really just pull you right back in. 
it almost sounds like Footloose or something at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And then that, that opening little guitar lick and then that opening uh, vocal line is when I was like, hey, wait a minute, 1901. You know, it, it's weird that it's on the same record that he does that same vocal line, but it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, they said that they uh, they felt like a lot of um, musical motifs kind of kept popping up throughout that whole record. I don't think that's wrong. But again, that's something you'll find about Phoenix is that a sound of an album turns out to be very consistent all the way through. That's nice, though. You're going to get... Uh... You're, it's not going to be an album where there's lots of different styles within the album, except for, I would say, I would say the first album's kind of like that because they're still trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do, mm-hmm. what their sound is. Mm-hmm. But after that, each, um, each record kind of locks into a very specific vibe, even though there is, um, there is a sense of, variety in that there's definitely a internal consistency all the way through Mm -hmm. and so it shouldn't be surprising that um you hear last and you go wow that sounds a lot like 1901 Mm -hmm. that's by design yes well i i wouldn't even say design it's just that's just the way it comes out for them right they're not going to intentionally hide that, I guess I should say. Yeah. But Once yeah, we got... They're, we got, they're not going to go, oh no, it sounds too much like this. we got to change it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I we we got that energy back from Listomania, which helps that we're on the same album. Uh, and it, this is like a... I think this is the shortest of the set. Yeah, this is the... Yeah, it doesn't even make the minute mark. Yeah, and the drums are in and as powerful as you could for electronic without being Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, like, there's some interesting little, like, killer-style drum fills in here or drum parts, uh, sections, I guess you could say. I love that opening drum part. Yeah. Uh, so, again, like, um, like I had said before, this was the first um, Phoenix song that I had ever heard. And you didn't know. That I ever consciously heard. Because I had realized that I'd heard um, lots of that album beforehand, but just didn't know it was them. This was the first song of theirs that I had heard that I was just like, oh, this this is Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so it was, uh, it was those drums that were kind of the first thing that really caught my eye. You know, as a drummer, those are those are that's going to be a natural thing for me. Right, 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 right. And so when I heard that, I was just like, oh, wow, what a cool idea to have this, this one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then all of a sudden, right on top of it comes in a four while the, while the, the three pattern is still going on. Those polyrhythms, man. Yeah. They know their music theory. Yeah, they they gented their way through that one. <laughs> they they I guess you could say that they did. And it's it's got a nice little like 
sudden aha moment when the rest of the drums come in and you're like oh that's how it sits and then it kind of like it kind of gets your foot going you know i like i really i really do like that groove i'm listening to it for a second time while we're talking about it now and i'm like picking apart all the parts oh man this some of these drum parts are so intricate it's like they yeah. Like the hi hat sounds so real. Uh huh. This is one of those ones I gotta think that they that they mixed some live drums in with the program drums. Yeah, but I mean, they did say specifically that that intro was all created through playing keyboard drums. Like yeah. not just like on a on a computer like putting together a drum root. Like he is actually like hitting different keys for different drum sounds like the way that whenever i was a kid i would make stupid little drum tracks on garage band with the keyboard playing yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i I, yeah like that's literally what he was doing for that intro and they just they just happened to i won't say they don't mean that just happened like it was a wasn't a big deal, but they were very intentional about making sure that whatever drum samples they used were going to be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I just, I, I mean, I, I program drums for my own music because I'm not a drummer and I, if I were to try to drum the things that I wanted to do, it would, I would fail miserably. Metal drums is just not entry level drums, but it's so hard to get symbols of all things to sound natural. It's like mm-hmm. kick drum. You can get that snare. There's plenty of great snare samples out there, right? Toms, you can kind of like BS your way through that and you can get the, the real Canon Toms to sound right. But symbols of all things, like you just can't get symbols to sound right. And the symbols here sound very like organic. They sound like they just stuck overheads in a room. And like something as simple as symbol choking or like opening and closing a hi-hat to get that different hi-hat sound. It's like, it sounds just, it sounds so real. It's like, I'm, I'm impressed by this song, like mostly about the, like I keep talking about the drums, but like, I mean, it's obvious, like I'm, I'm impressed with like the work that they've done there and they're like, they're the sound guys. Like the band guys are the sound guys who figured out how to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can talk about that and say, yes, this band, these people figured this out, man. That's very cool. That's, that's kind of my big takeaway from the song. Yeah. Song song's great. I'm not going to say the song is terrible, but my thing is, wow, they, they know how to make synthetic music sound sound but, natural, sound organic, sound real. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, depending on your viewpoint, either that's a good thing or a bad thing, but in this instance, context showing that th- that's a good thing. Right, it's at least impressive. And speaking of synthetic music and, and Daft Punk, Yes, I, I when you when you said that you were interested to talk about 
how Daft Punk factors in. I knew you were going to bring it up for this song. Yeah, it, it, this next song, here we go. Funky Square Dance Part 1, 2, and 3 medley. Back off of United. Mm-hmm. Uh, not back off of United. I mean, back off! Back off! Yeah, but. Unlike Axl Rose. <laughs> hey, he's wearing a Slash t shirt, security. Uh, no, it, it opens up in this. I really, I should say, it sounds like um, In Death is Death. Is it in death is death? Uh, uh, you're thinking of Minds Mirrors. I'm thinking of Minds Mirrors. You're you're right. I'm thinking of Minds Mirrors. Like it opens up in this very major, very major, happy, wonderful, like tonality, but the sound that's of this synthesized vocoded voice is really like demented. Yeah. It's so, it's really creepy. Like, the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're trying something very edgy, and it's not going to connect with me. And then the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, you know, this is kind of, like, this is kind of funny, if nothing yeah. else. And first, I, I guess first... I get what they're talking about, but you'll have to talk about the, the meaning of this one a Man, little bit. This is one where... I'm not sure if I'm going to get the meaning correct, but I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, the first part I do believe is meant to be humorous. Okay, and I wouldn't say like ha ha funny, like to where you're like it's it's dick, but it's it's meant to kind of be like just um, kind of fun and not and a and a bit carefree. Mm-hmm. But it, it is talking about something very serious, which is someone dying. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need a tuxedo. There's no bouncers in the afterworld. Yeah. And he throws I... he throws out some pretty um, macabre uh, imagery. Macabre. Macabre, I know. What a, what a big word. Dance macabre, you say, but uh, oh yeah, yeah, you do know that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of picked up on that where it was like he's talking as if he was a dead body, and he was getting prepared for like, like an open casket viewing or something, mm-hmm. and it was just, and almost like he's saying, "What's the like? What's the point of this?" It's like I am a corpse. Yeah. I so pretty much corpse. pretty much it's like he's he's talking to either an old friend or an ex-lover that seems to not care that he's died. And he's kind of like he's kind of speaking to her as if she is just this like remorseless, I don't care kind of almost like he's extending the metaphor saying like if I were to be dead, you would not care at all. Um, he's saying, um, I won't enjoy my collection of stamps when I'm six feet under the ground. I only just left my dying bed and you're making curtains out of my shroud. Hmm. 
please keep an eye on those red-haired boys. Someday they'll play drum with my shin bones. Now you're chewing gum on my coffin. Take me where I long to be. I think you could say in a metaphorical way, he's like he's saying that he'd rather like move on like that that the death is a is some kind of analogy for moving on to the next thing Mm -hmm. because he's become very unhappy staying with this person and being where he is Mm -hmm. i i i'm pretty sure that's what it's trying to say but that that's pretty much the um the gist of part one is it's this whole like kind of like laid back sauntering um jam with the vocorder vocals and the shuffle beat and and then it it switches to part two and we get to i guess what you call the square dance Mm -hmm. so i think it's a again I'm I'm reaching here just because I I don't know it it very well could be about nothing, but right. I think that the the funky square dance is kind of like an afterlife party and he's trying to to find his new place and it's like an opportunity for him to meet other people. I'm I'm not completely sure, mm-hmm. but it does create for a great little dance jam electronic section. Yeah, man. And like, this is the part of the set where they really kind of let loose and Mm -hmm. they show all of their uh, colors. If we're going to continue the artistry uh, metaphor, but it like, you've got the vocoder now with the swing and the slide guitar like all of a sudden, there's this. This is new. We haven't heard this in the previous four songs. Yeah. Um, did you, whenever you uh, started this song, did you notice right off the top that it was nine minutes long? No. No, I was just, I was just listening through. And when it got to part two, when there was like that little fake live section, which I assume it's a fake live section. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounded, it sounded a little bit too staged, but I think, like, that's okay. Um, I thought it was a new song. Like, I, I thought we had moved on to the sixth song. And you were checking to see what's this song called, and you were like, oh, wait, this is still a song. No. Check. I just assumed. Like, this, and then, you know, that whole part two, part three section is like, I, the, the time went so fast. I didn't yeah. think to check. Like, it just blew by because there's so many just interesting moments there. And I mean, yeah. he gets after, he gets after that last the... section, like, everybody put your hands up, whatever, and then he's like, let's go, and then, it, like, everything dies all of a sudden. I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, they better do something really good after this, otherwise I'm gonna kind of be bored. And okay. then that bass line came in with the marimba, whatever it is. Oh! <laughs> And that that slap bass, yeah, that was so good. That must, is that a real that that can't be real. I mean, honestly, at this point, I don't know what's real and what isn't. I'm gonna probably guess and say that it isn't. That's probably a keyboard bass, but it still sounds pretty good. 
is oh it definitely does sound pretty good it's just it's like but playing slap bass to sound like that is so difficult yeah but at the same time how would you do that on keyboard like the amount of control you'd have to have i mean they could have i just i don't know there's there's certain things in the in the electronic world that I've never done, and so I don't know what the limitations of what you can and can't do with it are. Right. True. Good point. But yeah, and then it just every time you think that it's going somewhere, it just all of a sudden hard turns into something else. Like when it yeah. all of a sudden turns into an, a rock and roll ripping guitar solo. Dude, talk about a ripping guitar solo too. It's like it's it could. I'm sure you weren't expecting that to happen. I was not. And then it happened. I'm like, yeah, that was the natural progression, you know, because it like it, I guess, somewhere between the part two, part three or something, you have like this almost death metal sounding guitar tone, but it's playing something very melodic. Yeah. It's like, that's a That's a very harsh tone. Uh huh. But and it literally comes out of nowhere. Like the beat just like drops and you just go straight to that guitar line. Yeah. And then the guitar solo happens. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what should have happened. But I, how did we get here? Like, that's yeah, so... the whole time I'm listening to this, I'm just like, how did they think of this? This is what a, what a strange, but creative concept for a song. Like that's such a, that's such a classic prog thing. Yeah. Like of, yeah, this is naturally where we should be, but how? Like, they made it feel so normal mm-hmm. for, for just this. And it's like, it's a pretty technical guitar solo. Like, there's some tapping and some very fast playing in here. It's not like, oh, hey, I'm going to pretend I'm a guitar player, you know, for. Yeah, it's, it's, two or three it's minutes. a closer guitar solo. No, it's for real. And it's a tough tone to solo over, too. That's a very dry tone. Yeah, I I did notice that. Any mistake you make is going to be very visible. Right. It's not like uh, those early 80s Priest records where they drown everything in delay and you can just, oh, I flubbed a note. It's okay. The previous 30 notes can cover me up. But this is all, it's all dry. Everything's like in time. Very technical. And then it turns into another like Prince sounding section. Yeah, where it just it gets it gets strangely up. And at at this point, you start to feel the seriousness of the song. Where yeah. like, you this whole time it's just been almost like comical and kind of fun, but now all of a sudden it's become almost like like crushingly lonely. Yeah, it it's it becomes very withdrawn sounding and. And just and very melancholic, and that's when you realize this isn't meant to just be like a novelty song. That this this is this is trying and succeeding on taking you on a journey. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, that's that's that once once those um, I think it's once the once the guitar comes in that's that's the official beginning of part three yeah man. and then part takes you through and then you just you get that last um 
that last jam on that great guitar line. Yeah, that then that funky square dance where it's like it's so weird that they took that same melody through multiple different sections and mm-hmm. because it was so weird and just like atonal it worked in every single one of them somehow yep. <laughs> yeah and a, like this synth choir behind makes it sound like kind of like november rain moment and it's just ah, it was good it was well done it was like it was it was a couple steps away from a rock epic you know, a couple steps away from a prog epic, but a couple steps away from the alternative stuff that we heard before with Daft Punk mixed in, with Prince mixed in, with this and that and the other. It's like you can't really can't really put this can't really put this in any bin, which is super, super cool. Very impressive mm-hmm. and really what they were going for. Like and they did this on their first album. On their first album, we're supposed to say that is on their first album. What a it, what a risk to take. Yeah. And well, it just it pays off so well. Yes. Yes. It's not like that. You know, Octavarium moment, but at the same time, it's like that ending is so satisfying. It's, <laughs> but it's just as satisfying as some of those some of those great epics that we've talked about on the podcast but just enough to leave us to go one more place just just enough to let us take another journey love like a sunset parts one and two back Which, on wolfgang amadeus Beach. my only gripe is with this is that why put them in two separate songs just let them be all together let it let it be one big epic mm, yeah I mean, after you did Funky Square Dance like that, you know? Um, but man, you want to talk about just a a brilliant coming together of of sound and of direction. Yeah. This, this takes you on a very specific journey. I remember the first time I heard this. And just like, this was kind of the moment when I was first listening to uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. I heard this and I was just like, okay, these guys are real. This is this is real stuff. They're not just a oh, we're a little pop rock band. Like they these guys are artists. Yeah, that was that was my thought. My first thought as well when I heard this was literally like, oh, this is not just some indie pop band. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they write pop because that's what's gonna sell but this is the stuff that they really want to do. Mm-hmm. This was, they said this was the first thing that they wrote for the record and that their original plan was that it was going to be 19 minutes of instrumental music. And their producer had to talk them down and just go, let's, let's not do that. That might be a little too much. Oh, I want to listen to that original version now. Well, they, they, they were like, yeah, it was probably a good idea. We, what would we do for 19 minutes of instrumental music? It's daunting enough to do six. Yeah, but it was a good six. Yeah. Like this part one, this plays out in like the reverse order of Suicide Note. Like Mm -hmm. it starts kind of like dark. Yeah. In a weird way. um, in, In a very funeral for a friend way. 
they de- they described it and it's it's very interesting again with their with their english they described um the middle of uh part 1 as the most violent moment on the record <laughs> kind of like it's it does a great there's you've got two different build ups you've got the more artificial build up and then you've got this this drop in the middle that gets almost genuinely a little creepy with the with the phasing in and out almost like a like a malfunctioning piece of equipment very very mute math mm-hmm. and then and then it comes and then when that drum beat comes in the second build mm-hmm and then just everything comes together and just again if you don't if you are hearing this for the first time you're like where is this going right and then for it to just open up on part 2 to just this this beautiful moment those acoustic guitars coming in it's it is that's your catharsis right there mhm that was that was definitely the catharsis moment Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the sounds that you're hearing in Love Like a Sunset, like they're pretty cool. I'm liking the experience that I'm getting. I'm like, wow, this is like an interesting sound that makes me feel this very particular way. And I think that was designed that way. Like it gives you images in your head, maybe that, you know, whether it's something that from your own memory or whatever they planted in your head or whatever, or maybe you're a tinfoil hat weather wearer and the government planted it in your head. Anyway, it's, it's, it's good, but it's somewhat ungrounded. There's mm-hmm. a flow, but it's, it's, there's nothing to really latch onto for very long in kind of a good way. I think they're kind of like playing with your ears intentionally because it's giving you this feeling of restlessness it's not giving you it's not giving you any release and it's all like in minor or atonal like there's always an atonal element somewhere where it just doesn't sound harmonious there's Mm -hmm. just something that it's it's, something's not right and so So maybe atonal is not the right word but uh dissonant dissonant yeah that's what i should say dissonant there's a dissonant element everywhere um in some parts of the song there is like maybe there's some chord progression that's playing or whatever but there's another sound that doesn't even fit in the 12 tone scale being played in the left channel or whatever that just doesn't make it fit and so you can't get that you can't get that harmonious aspect but when love like a sunset part two opens up and you get the nice acoustic guitar a very familiar sound and it opens up with you know a major uh melody it's like oh yeah oh yeah this is this is something i can pay attention to it's kind of like you went through the um kind of like the the ugliness you went through the valley of the shadow of death or whatever and now here we are on the other side and like wow look at how far we've come this is what i've always explained to people as this is the purpose of dissonance and people that an artist that know how to use it correctly will use it in a way to where they're in an intentionally put you in a musical setting where it feels uncomfortable. But the whole reason is that if you use it in the right amount of intensity and for the right amount of time and you bring 
the harmonious resolution back to it, it makes it that much more powerful. Because even if you don't realize it's happening, you're unconsciously craving for that return to beauty. Mm-hmm. And then when it hits you, it's just it it almost hits you like a freight train. It's it, this it's this huge release of emotion. And then not only for it to return to this beauty, but also to have words come in. Mm-hmm. I've never really heard a song do this quite like this before. Yeah. It, where it, you have this mostly instrumental and then lyrics coming in and not just coming in just as a surprise, but being the, the, the center of it, the, 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 the resolution yeah, that's and it's so weird. It's like it's not a callback and yet it feels so familiar. Like this I I almost wonder how powerful this would be if it was at the end of like an epic or a concept record or something. It's like this yeah. is this is the final song and it's like, oh, we went through the really intense oh the bad guy's chasing us or whatever it is. Right, and then all of a sudden, it's like we won, Mister Stark. It's like I, I, I can't imagine how powerful that would be. And they did something so much like that feeling, you know, that you get at the end of of good concept records, like um, "Rain Over Me" in Quadrophenia. Yeah, it's like when you when you hear that final, like uh, when he. Uh, the, when the strings, you know, do, 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 you know, that feeling is the same kind of feeling that you get at the beginning of Love Like a Sunset Part 2. And it's like, wow, mm-hmm. they did that whole, they summed up that whole feeling in, you know, seven, eight minutes. That's impressive. Not to, not to detract from Quadrophenia, okay? Just a rough comparison, but they did get that kind of, thing and it was very powerful and I liked that it was definitely definitely the quintessential um, cathartic moment that's the word yeah and then you just to top it all off you have these this beautiful concept with the lyrics of a love being like a sunset and just he explained Thomas explained it of being that you know he's you know a sunset is one of the most beautiful things that you can ever see in nature naturally occurring. Like there's, there's few things better than a sunset yet. A sunset always ends. It's never permanent, but as a sun is setting for someone somewhere else on the world, the sun is rising. And so that's where he's saying where it starts, it ends. So as your love is ending, someone else's love is beginning. Love never fully disappears. It just appears somewhere else. Whoa. And that just the impermanence of love, how you you can't hold on to it forever, yet at the same time, it's beautiful. And it's worth experiencing in the moment. I'm making the mind blown sign language with my hands right now. <laughs> so I'm, this yeah. <laughs> this is this was an octavarium moment. Ooh. Ooh. 
I'm, we're going to use that as our official trademark uh, <sighs> saying for just those moments when, like, the mind has been blown. Ooh. I would say on a scale of Octavarium moments. This is on the higher end. I um, mean, honestly, it's hard to outdo the Octavarium, so you can't even really compare it. Okay, we'll put it at a nine. Because it's, like, it's very powerful. Like, and that that's nice. Like, in that short span... He, like, made the song have so much rich meaning. That's awesome. And think about a sunset as well. The most beautiful part is right at the very end. And then Ah. then you have that afterglow. And you've got those little acoustic guitars playing out as it fades away. You're going to make me cry. It's just so good. It's so good. And... I I think that after you get to this point in the set, I think you just you gotta at you gotta hand it to Phoenix that they know what they're doing. So that that is the conclusion of our set. So uh, we're gonna take another break here. When we come back, we're going to uh, give our final thoughts about Phoenix. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got finished talking about our six Phoenix songs for this episode. Just as a reminder, those songs were Litstomania, If I Ever Feel Better, You Can't Blame It on Anybody, Lasso, Funky Square Dance, and Love Like a Sunset. A reminder, you can listen to all these songs by clicking on the link in the description of the episode. It takes you to a Spotify playlist where you can listen to not just the songs from this episode, but all the ones from our previous ones as well. Even if you are a big-time Phoenix fan, I would recommend going to the playlist and listening to these songs in this order. I promise you, you will have a brand new experience if you do so. But now it's time to give our final thoughts. So, Grant, you started off at a Pure 5. You didn't even know this band existed, even though you had accidentally played one of their songs before so after this episode how do you feel about them now um well i'll tell you how i thought i was gonna feel i thought that we were gonna get even after starting this recording i thought we were gonna get to the end of the episode it was like wow we learned so much about this band and this type of music this was great i am you know i appreciate their way of doing music while alternative music is great and i'm probably going to listen to one of their records and then never listen to them ever again i don't know if i'm going to ever listen to them ever again for a long period of time but i'll tell you what i do know it's like i i enjoyed this recording process especially the little tidbit at the end the little love like a sunset the most beautiful part is at the end um that we just had that that was that is quite an inspiring little piece of music right there i am probably going to listen to that many times in my future and just pick it apart and be like why is this so powerful how can i how can i you know make this feeling translate to my music if i could you know uh and that's 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 something that 
20 minute long songs can't achieve you know is that feeling of final catharsis and return to harmoniousness and and that callback and and the meaning having so much to do with the music and you know all of those elements played together in that little six or that little seven eight minute tidbit and really you could argue that two minutes at the end and that was that was great i was expecting at the end to say wow funky square dance has some great parts that's my favorite one because i like interesting experimental music and i really did like funky square dance right i'm not dissing funky square dance at all it's oh got, no it's great it's got the funk and the square and the dance i don't know about how much square but it's got a little bit and but i don't know love like a sunset's got to take the cake after that whole explanation after that after that uh talking through it while we were listening to it that kind of added to added to the meaning i don't know i don't know I do know, actually. I do know. Love Like a Sunset's got to win. Um, because it's just, it's more of a unit that's kind of like a combined force that really inspires, that really brings a lot of emotion. Funky Square Dance is great. Great parts. I love it. Right? I like how they were able to pull off all the different parts coming together and, and, and playing off of each other and kind of this weird jam kind of feeling to it, but love like a sunset. It's just, it's, it's a masterpiece and you got to go with the masterpiece, right? You got to go with the one that gives you the octavarium moment. You got to go with the one that makes you want to write songs like that. You know, I, I genuinely would love to write a song like love, like a sunset. How can, how can I use dissonance to give someone that feeling as well? You know, how can I, you know, make such a small, small section of lyrics have so much meaning and relate to the music so well? It's the, the type of questions I wouldn't be asking myself at the beginning of this episode. Just it's so, so interesting how talking about the songs while you're listening to them adds so much, so mm-hmm. much. Meaning. So, you know. Obviously, with that, guys, go listen to the songs. Otherwise, we'll sound like we're stark raving lunatics. Stark raving. We'll be Phoenix Maniacs. Uh, List Maniacs? Phoenix Maniacs. <laughs> or Litz Maniacs. But yeah. So what, so what number do you put yourself uh, at? What number? Um, six, at least. I just don't know enough songs. But I do want to listen to... Uh, I want to get the ranked playlist because I don't know how the different albums sounding is going to like play out, you know, and Mm -hmm. I want to get the best sampling of every single one of the albums because Mm, I hadn't heard three of their records at all. So I'm curious to, I'm curious to listen through some of those. Some of those uh, high-ranking songs, and I'm curious to see how these songs rank. But before that, we got to talk about your final thoughts. Yes. So, um, obviously, I had much more experience with Phoenix than you coming in, but still not that much. I pretty much only knew one album really well, and I I was kind of taking a risk. I knew 
that they had a big enough reputation that there, I knew there was going to be more good music. But I, I mean, I wasn't a complete sure thing. So I was really glad to find more great music as I was uh, researching and putting the songs together. Um, I like obviously my my appreciation and love for Phoenix has grown. I'd say that it's it's sitting at a good seven. But I think the more significant thing that I'm taking away from this is just acknowledging that there are other ways to listen to music. That it doesn't have to be so analytical. And so I've got to find the hook. I've got to find the interesting thing that makes this song unique. Um, just like just letting the song just like be and to sit and to feel it and to groove with it, I think opens up and it has been and will continue to open up new ways for me to experience music in ways that I haven't before. And so I think that that's the significant thing that I'm pulling away from this on top of the fact that there's a couple more Phoenix albums now that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll totally listen to that at any time. So that's 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 kind of my significant takeaway from this episode is me acknowledging that perhaps I've been sleeping on a on a way to listen to music and therefore certain songs that I didn't appreciate before I can find some new deeper meaning in. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly that's about as good as you can find with an episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When it's true. changing the way that you're approaching and listening to music, that's when you know something good's happening. Yeah. So thank you, Phoenix, for that. And thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode. Um, we really appreciate all of your support. And if you want to continue to support um, this episode and this podcast, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight and we are going to have another music history episode next week and we're going to be talking about this little invention called the piano Ooh! so you'll want to make sure that you tune in for that because we're going to have some great piano pieces we're going to be talking about oh i didn't even i didn't didn't even say what my favorite song was oh yeah i think i also got a paper I think I also got to pick Love Like a Sunset. It's just it's just too good to deny. Yeah. Although Lasso has personal significance to me just because it was the first one. The first Phoenix song that I ever got into. So I do I do enjoy that one immensely as well. Um, Harry really enjoyed Phoenix. Um, his favorite song was Lasso. He pretty much could sing the whole thing. And it was... Very adorable. That's kind of And cool. he also loved Funky Square Dance because it was silly. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. I was just about to ask that. Okay. Um, and then on the ranked playlist, um, If I Ever Feel Better is at number seven. You Can't Blame It on Anybody was at six. Lasso was at five. Funky Square Dance at four. Love Like a Sunset 2 and Litstomania at 1. Wow. You put Litstomania at 1? Yeah, I feel like it's it's just the it's the overall go-to Phoenix song. But honestly, I'd say it's it's almost a dead tie between it and Sunset. Sunset mm-hmm. is the 
is the less approachable but deeper song where Let's Demania is it's almost a perfect pop rock song. That's true. That much is is true. Anyway. So um again as a refresher, if you want to listen to these songs, link is in the description, as well as a link to our Patreon, where we have our exclusive segment, the Bad Music Podcast, where we're going to talk about Phoenix's six worst songs. So if you want to check that out, as well as get access to episodes early, then you should go sign up and become a patron. And make sure to hit us up on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. That's where we get a lot of our suggestions for our fan pick each month. So um, if you want to have your favorite artist um, featured on an episode, then that is the best way. Although you can also leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to. That can also be a place you can leave a suggestion. And that's it for this episode. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. Good music.